Salam everyone. Apologies for the delay, but we're finally here with the fifth episode of Back from Fetch. If you'd like to skip to the discussion, it is about 10 minutes in. However, we do encourage you to listen to the context of the next few episodes since we'll be referencing a lot of points that we discuss in the context in our discussion. So this episode is part one of a two-part philosophically charged series where we will be exploring the notion of free will in Islam and the different beliefs surrounding the matter. In order to contextualize the argument, this first episode will set the stage by exploring God through his names of Al-Jabbar, the Compeller, and Al-Alim, the All-Knowing, so that we'll be able to come to terms with the apparent paradox of predetermination, or Qadr. And as always, we are not scholars, so feel free to correct us on anything and comment your thoughts. Okay, firstly, what does predetermination or qadr even mean? Predetermination in Islam encompasses the belief that everything that has occurred and will occur was already determined by Allah. Believing in predetermination is the last of the six pillars of faith in Islam, where we are to believe in God, His angels, his prophets, his books, the day of judgment, and predetermination. The concept of predetermination, or qadr, is encapsulated by the preserved tablet, al-lawh al-mahfuz, in which everything that will happen until the day of judgment is written. This is confirmed in a hadith where Ubadah ibn Samit said that he heard the Prophet, peace be upon him, talk about. The translation of which explains that God had first created the pen, and commanded it to write all the events that were to happen from the beginning of time until the Day of Judgment. People usually conflate this hadith with the idea that because everything is written down already, then we don't have to take responsibility for our actions, because we're essentially just enacting God's will. And Annette will touch on this more in the next episode. However, this hadith simply exemplifies two of God's names that we will talk about in this episode, the Compeller and the All-Knowing. The reason we keep getting into God's names analytically has to do with the way the Arabic language works. You essentially apply a word root to different templates, and with each template you naturally generate a different meaning. In that way, we observe that most of God's names are applied to templates that convey superlatives, which just means that the quality we're looking at is encompassed in the highest degree. We see this when we apply the word root for knowledge, ilm, and the difference between al-alim, the knower, which is also the word used to denote a scientist, and its superlative, al-alim, the all-knowing, which is one of God's names. As we said before, God possesses a knowledge unavailable to any human. He's the all-aware, knower of both the physical and metaphysical. He knows all that is on the land and sea, as said in Surah Al-An'am, Ayah 59, has knowledge of every leaf that falls on this earth, every grain of sand, in the earth's deepest darkness, and what lies in our hearts does not escape him. Now we bring up this name in the argument of free will because we need to understand that although God knows everything that will happen and everything that you will do, he does not force you to do anything, since that would contradict our purpose on this earth, which is that we are brought here as a test and will be held accountable for our actions on the Day of Judgment. Furthermore, if we assume that Allah is al-adl, the just, then we must have free will to act, since it is unjust for us to be reprimanded for actions that we were, quote, forced to do. Now, through the story of the preserved tablet, we also begin to understand God's name as Al-Jabbar, which directly translates to the Compeller or the Omnipotent. This was quite a complex name to unpack, since it has different meanings, but I'll take you through each of them, starting from the word root Jabr. Again, notice here that the root is applied to a superlative template, where we understand that this quality of Jabr is applied to the highest degree. But what does Jabr even mean? For those of you who speak Arabic, you might know the general meaning of it, which is to force or compel a thing. And when applied to humans, a Jabr is usually a tyrant or the one who oppresses people. So then the question arises, does that mean that God is the most oppressive? Astaghfirullah. No, it doesn't. Because you see, we can't simply understand God's qualities in the same way we do humans. God's names usually express his qualities in two main categories. Qualities denoting Jamal, or beauty, and qualities denoting Jalal, so his glory, 
or magnitude. My Islamic teacher had once told me that it is good and recommended for us to embody qualities denoting beauty, like being generous, forgiving, kind, etc. However, to try to embody Allah's qualities that denote his glory or magnitude would be to demonstrate hubris, the excessive pride or defiance of deities, a trope that is commonly used in Greek tragedy. We see this in Pharaoh and many like him, who claim godly status and exploit their people under the guise of their omnipotence. So here we come to understand Allah's Jabr as his ability to compel things into place, having utmost command over what is and isn't. This interpretation glorifies Allah's reach and power, since everything that happens is only what he wills. In relation to our argument on free will, this further supports the existence of the preserved tablet, where everything that is or will be is compelled by Allah. The other meaning of Jabr is more under the act of healing, defining Allah's ability to restore his creations, mending their hearts and minds. This still demonstrates his omnipotence, but extends it as compassion to his creations, since only he has the ability to restore and mend us. Now the last point I want to touch on in this contextualization of Qadr and free will is Laylat al-Qadr. Laylat al-Qadr directly translates to night of decree, and it is usually an odd-numbered night in the last 10 days of Ramadan, the holy month of fasting. It is considered to be one of the holiest days in the Islamic calendar since it is the night that the Quran was revealed to Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him. So what is its purpose? Well, we know that the whole of Ramadan is a chance for us to get closer to Allah through good deeds and repentance. But Laylat al-Qadr magnifies whatever deeds or du'as you performed as if you did them for a thousand months, which can greatly impact your decree on the Day of Judgment. Linking it back to predetermination, or Qadr, we see that a few issues arise. Does this mean that we are changing our destiny on Laylat al-Qadr, and by extension the preserved tablet? Is the preserved tablet even something that can be modified? If Allah already knows how we're going to end up, why do we need to put in the effort in the first place? To clarify the former questions, I'll firstly distinguish how our dunya, our present, is affected by Laylat al-Qadr versus our akhirah, the hereafter. In terms of the hereafter, we proved earlier that we do have free will by exploring God's qualities. And if that is the case, then our good and bad deeds are countable in some sense. Therefore, Laylat al-Qadr can affect our akhirah by shifting the balance, adding to your good deeds and alleviating your sins. On the other hand, Laylat al-Qadr is also used to perform supplications or du'as on events that occur in our present or dunya. Now, are we modifying what is written for us when we do du'a? Firstly, whether the preserved tablet can be, quote, modified or not, is not unanimously confirmed by scholars, and some make extrapolations about the types of events that are written in there, where there are events that are set in stone, like your death and major life events, while others are considered pending in a sense, only confirmed or alleviated by performing du'a. They point to this hadith from Sunan al-Tirmidhi, which goes, لا يرد القضاء إلا بالدعاء. Nothing averts decree except supplication. Now, disregarding the question of what is in the preserved tablet, it doesn't really matter in the larger picture of our everyday lives. And since Allah had the ability to create it in the first place, then whether it can be modified or not is in his power anyway. From our understanding, we know that everything that Allah has written for us will happen. But there are events that require our action, whether that be dua or taking the necessary steps to achieve a goal, like studying for an exam. This point overlaps heavily with the concept of tawakkul versus tawakkul, which we talked about in episode 2, I believe, where in the first tawakkul, we take the necessary steps and place the outcome in Allah's care, and in the latter tawakkul, we take a non-committal attitude and fully depend on Allah to enact our will. So, not choosing to study for that exam and hoping you'll pass. Du'as are also useful in alleviating our anxieties about things that are out of our control and easing our pain. Rather than only being a means to ask for our wants from Allah, it strengthens your spiritual connection since you come to rely on someone who is greater than this dunya and always has your best interests at heart. And that's it for the first part on free will. Next, we'll discuss actual theories on free will in Islam from different groups of people and how their outlooks differ. 
Also note that although I use Laylatul Qadr as an example to clarify how we view Qadr, all arguments mentioned can be extrapolated to our general everyday life, minus the 1,000 times benefit, of course. And now we'll move on to the discussion. This week we have a guest, Sara Wagdi. Do you want to introduce yourself? <laughs> My name is Sara Wagdi. <laughs> And I am, like, obviously I'm Muslim. Um, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> uh, basically, I write. And I am pursuing, like, a bachelor's degree in international studies, if that is, like, relevant of any sort. And, yeah, I've just, like, always been interested in my dean and stuff. But I had, like, a spiritual revelation, I would say, like, a few years back. And ever since then, like, I've just been on the pursuit. So, yeah, that's all I have to say. <laughs> Very interesting. <laughs> no, it actually is. <laughs> and you also run um, an Instagram page. Yes. That's how we actually found um, you. Plug it. Yeah, plug I have it. I have an art page. <laughs> and yeah, I do my writing and I, I've like tried to mix in art there because I've, I've never believed that I've been good at art. So I've tried to go out of my comfort zone and kind of like reflect um, Islamic things in particular, like Islamic lessons that I've learned and reflect them visually. And lately, like, the latest thing I've been doing is a series for the 99 names of Allah and reflecting them visually and stuff. So that's what I've been doing predominantly now on the page. Which fits right in with this episode. Also, her Instagram is Wagdi. We'll link it as well. But anyway, so Ada is also here. <laughs> you haven't said anything. Yeah, I haven't said anything. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, the topic of this episode is predominantly like Qadr and free will and it's actually a two-part series this episode we're focusing more on God's names because we had we have Sara here with us and she always approaches um her analyses that way like from starting from God's names so since you explored a, a lot how does understanding God's names impact um our relationship with him like what is its value yeah I think the first thing like we need to know before we even like consider um, how knowing God's names can change our relationship um, and our worship in general when it comes to this uh, is knowing that everything around us is a reflection of Allah. Like I never bothered to memorize the 99 names when I was younger because like I just understood like, yeah, God is all these great things, obviously. But um when it comes to just praying, I can just always say, Ya Allah, there is no necessity for me to like use the other names. Um, but as soon as I learned that you see God in everything around you and that every void in you is actually a search for Allah, I suddenly had this revelation like, oh, then definitely the names have something to do with this. Like when we see something beautiful, that is Al-Jamil having created a reflection of his own beauty. So everything around you, subhanAllah, like uh, one of the practices that a lot of Muslims do is like they just like go for a walk and they recite like one name at a time and relate it to something they see around them. And then they feel more connected with Allah and they work on their spiritual connection this way. But then what makes it even more powerful is that as a Muslim, as anyone, any person really, like we go through these struggles, right? And we have these issues and... We have to like reach out to Allah, be it um, because we're sick, because we're heartbroken, because we're tired, exhausted, anxious, all these different feelings. And what I learned is that every single one of these names directly connects to these feelings. Um, and in the most like beautiful ways, like subhanAllah. And the reason why I'm exploring them as well in like my own deep way is because at surface level, if you just hear them, they sound very like straightforward. You hear Al-Jabbar and it's like, yes, the one who forces and the one who mends. And it just sounds like a name of power and strength, you know. But then when you explore it in depth and see how you can connect it to yourself personally, for example, it's someone who can force your heart to heal or someone who can force your mind to feel and think a certain way. And that's life changing. And so Allah loves to hear our prayers and loves to hear our du'as and surely he loves it even more when we call his specific names because we know and fully trust that with those names comes the ability for him to heal our problems in all these different aspects. And so when I learned all these names and put them together, um, the way it impacted my relationship with Allah is that it felt way more personal. You know, it's 
I call upon you with the characteristics that I'm learning about you. Um, and it's so overwhelming, but at the same time, so deeply reassuring. And so I think anyone who just internalizes the meanings of these names can truly like benefit and elevate the inner Iman, even when it's low. Because there are names for when your Iman is low. You know, you use these names to help you get up. And so Allah can really be like that helping hand when you use his different names. You know, it's interesting because like similar to you, only up until recently, like probably like a few months ago, also with the help of your account, like I'm actually not just saying oh that, but gosh. it's true, I swear. No, it's really true. Like I never, I also had the same attitude as you did previously. Like I know God has all these amazing characteristics once you notice that everything around you is like a reflection of God, and then you even start seeing those like certain traits of goodness around us and in other human beings, like you can only, I don't know, you can only fully appreciate yourself and like your relationship with your religion when you just try like, because we can't ever fully know God, like there, we can't fully fathom like his capacity. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that the pursuit of trying to understand him doesn't help us or isn't something that's beneficial for us. So definitely understanding his names is a starting point for that, or if not the, the core point. And I think that, especially what you were saying about the people around you and stuff, something that I've noticed as well is that some of these names, like when he acts a certain way or puts specific people in your life and stuff, it's actually a reflection of some of these names like um at times of loneliness or like when i feel like no one understands me and stuff and i'll have like that one friend appear um that does you know and we speak and i feel better like of course i see my friend and i appreciate my friend i acknowledge that but at the same time i acknowledge al-latif you know the one who is gentle and kind mm-hmm. um who will help me go through this hardship with like a hand to hold you know and so yeah. when you learn these names especially like it's so beautiful because like you were saying, like you start noticing it in everything around you and it's mm-hmm. so, so, so reassuring and relaxing. Like I, I can fangirl about this all day. <laughs> no, well, good. That's, that's what you're here for. Because <laughs> it also like reminds me of like, like my starting point actually seeing that everything is a reflection of God before it being God's names was actually like Ibn Arabi's theory, like the unity of being. Because I had never... Up until that point, I had never seen or heard anyone say that, like, everything is a reflection of God. Like, even though it seems really obvious to think about, like, oh, of course, like, God created everything. Of course, everything's going to be a reflection of him. Because I I guess it's something you have to teach yourself, though, to be fair. Like, because even if you do say everything is a reflection of God, you don't really fully, like, internalize it until you go on that path of trying to find everything like until you explore it for yourself yeah um like you definitely like especially with when it comes to teaching religion and stuff like i'm against a lot of the techniques that they use to do so because it paints religion as this black and white image you know it's like god fear him obey him point a point Mm -hmm. z you're trying to get to heaven don't do anything bad fear god done you know and it really removes the sweetness of Iman. Like the Prophet, peace be upon him, like when there are hadiths where he says the sweetness of Iman, you know, like when something is sweet, it is delicious for your soul. You're supposed to feel so happy and ecstatic when you're worshiping God. But we're taught to worship God in this way that's so plain and bland. Um, so it's very fortunate that we get to go on our own journeys as we grow older and, you know, think for ourselves and stuff. But I just like can't help but imagine the difference it would make if we were able to develop such ideas or at least have like our teachers plant the seeds for this type of relationship when we're younger, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I agree because there's also no guarantee that people, like if they're taught in that very harsh way or only depicting an Islam in particular way, there's no guarantee that they'll grow up and go on their own individual path with with Islam. They might just abandon it entirely. And I would say that, like, I think a lot of people do place the some blame on the individual, which is true. Like, you are responsible for your actions. But there's also, like, a huge part of Islam is also the, like, the ummah, the community. So it's also our responsibility to make the community a place where people feel comfortable, where they know they can come with their questions 
and a lot of and a large part of that is how we're depicting Islam. Yeah. It's not that they're showing parts of Islam that are wrong, but you have like Islam is this holistic thing. We can't just show only one aspect because that would be a false depiction. Yeah. And about like I was just going to say like adding on to Sara about the way that we're taught in schools like how it's all black and white and how you guys were saying that we need to like actually embody or go on our own journeys to be able to actually understand things so when we're taught like islamic in school it's mostly just like spewing like facts oh this happened and you need to act this way and i guess it's always telling you how to act but not like but not really delving into the why or like how they could personally implement it because as that was saying like um, most people blame the individual for their like shortcomings or like not, um, their disconnect from Islam in general. But if it's taught in such um, like I just remember at school the way that everyone used to like dread Islamic or just see it as like a free lesson that they can just talk through because the way it's taught is very I don't know it's not it's not intellectually stimulating and it's not being delivered in a way that's personal to the people that are receiving them. It's just the same uh, curriculum over and over and over. So, yeah, I think that would really help in um, actually beginning that spiritual journey from when you were a kid, actually telling people why you need to do certain things or how that affected your own relationship, which is what your account uh, actually does, Sara. It's really impactful. Oh, oh my God, that's <laughs> such a big compliment. Thank you so much, guys. <laughs> but yeah, I know you bring up such an important point, by the way, about the impact that it has on you. Like never once in school was I taught about like the benefits of prayer on your mentality or your soul or like your mental contentment, you know, like it was always like, oh, you pray five times a day. I like, like I was going to say, I like, pray like, or you of go course, to I'll pray. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But like now when I experienced, when I went on my own journey and I learned the beauty of like prayer and spiritual enlightenment that was never mentioned. It wasn't even a topic that we discussed in high school, you know, or even elementary school ever. So yeah, definitely. I feel like we're going to re uh, restructure the entire educational system yeah, right yeah. now in this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, <laughs> That's but the goal. even though like, <laughs> the, prophet, the prophet, peace be upon him, like all the prophets, they went through that, spiritual online because they go through the hardest obstacles that no human ever face right so we don't we only talk about like how their journey went but not like the feelings or how they combated certain things and how that made them closer to god okay so like prophet Yunus when he was in um the whale's stomach and how um different du'as that he made and how he reflected on his entire attitude even though that he's a he's a prophet he made a mistake as well and not a lot of people go into, I guess, what they went through, but just like the timeline of their life. That's what I remember learning anyway. I think also the way they, they teach, they want to teach it from the haram and halal because they want to teach you what, like, this is what you do that's right and, like, this is what you should stay away from. You know, obviously there's, like, goodness in that too because they want to, like, protect you. But also, if we thought of it more so as, like, like our soul as kind of like it's connected to us but i guess like in like something that we have to feed and nurture and take care of because they're like just because we know something is haram it's not necessarily going to stop us from doing it because there are certain like battles and turmoils of the soul that we have to go through ourselves of course understanding why something's haram definitely keeps us away from it but if we're just told that no this is wrong that doesn't mean that we're not going to do it which also leads leads us back into predetermination. Yeah, just linked to predetermination because we know that we're going to be held accountable for certain actions. But it's one of the pillars of faith, like that we have to believe in predetermination and that there will be a day that we will be um, held accountable for everything that we did. So even though we know this, Sara, what made it click for you like specifically that only what... Um, Allah wills will happen and it is always what's truly best for you because yeah we're, we're taught like qada and qadar but you don't really internalize it until you go through it yourself yeah yeah that's true um, I think this is something that 
you don't learn unless something, and this is likely to happen to everyone in their lives, but it's something you don't learn unless you have a plan and things go the opposite direction completely. Um, and the thing is, with like a lot, a lot of our experiences as well, like when something goes wrong in the moment, we're just like, oh my God, this is terrible. Like, and you try to, you know, damage control and all that stuff. But it's only like way down the line when the event has passed. It could be months from now. It could be hours from now. And it could be years. But basically what has to happen is a zoom out of whatever situation you were in. And then you see that, subhanAllah, whatever God wanted to happen, happened. Either way, like you as a puny mortal had no control over what God had decreed. And there is um, a part of an end of an ayah, and it happens a lot. Like it's repeated in the Quran. It says, uh, You know, God knows and you do not. And so the thing is like, God and parts of his names also indicate this about him being an alim. He's all wise, all knowing, you know. And whatever you think you know, whatever all-encompassing picture and understanding you think you have of a situation or an idea um, can never amount to even a fraction of what he knows, right? So whatever you expect and whatever you plan, you can... That's what you have to do. Like, that is... um, what God tells us that we have to do. We have to, you know, live your life in an educated way, you know, like act and behave accordingly to what you know in the deen, for example. Uh, you do what you're doing, right? Like, for example, if we know that we have to learn, you know, like study and do all the things you have to do, but then if you fail, even though you worked, that doesn't necessarily mean like this is the worst thing that can happen. You don't know the benefits of that. At the same time, um, something that I used to struggle with as well is like, when things don't go according to plan, is it because God is angry with me? Like, have I done something wrong? You know, and this is something that catches so many people um, and and traps them in a loop because it's like, oh, like God hates me. Like, why would I even be in this situation unless like I was being punished and I don't know what? And what's the point of even trying because I can't be perfect? God does not want you to be perfect. Every human being is a sinner. You know, and the Prophet has said this, every single person from the time of Adam alayhi salam until the last human being born is a sinner. Yet, some of us end up in the highest ranks of Jannah and some of us end up in hell, you know. So that doesn't necessarily imply at all, ever, that someone's going to be perfect. God doesn't want you to be perfect. And so when he tests you, it's not always because like, oh, like something you did wrong. In fact, when you feel pain, uh, when you get tested, these things elevate you uh, in heaven, you know. So you don't know, like maybe God wants you to be closer to Him in the afterlife, you know. But like other than this, um, I always like switch between Arabic and English, by the way. <laughs> but other than this, we have these situations where like you need to you need to um, protect yourself, like you need to do your asqar. Like something that's really underrated is like people doing their morning asqar and their night asqar. They don't treat them with the importance and um, necessity that we should because like when we think of the amount of times we need to mention God and keep him in our hearts and keep him in our conscious mind and our awareness Azkar keeps this very set because aside from your five prayers you have like from you the moment you first wake up until um, like after Asr and you can do these Azkar aside from other forms of Ibadah and so what these Azkar do is that they actually create a shield around you you know and they protect you. And the stronger the shield is basically determined by how conscious you are of the asqar you're saying. So like if you're saying reciting ayat al-kursi, but you're doing it with complete knowledge of what the words mean, the shield that comes from this will be more powerful. And this is so reassuring to me because when we're talking about predestination and things that happen to you, um, when something happens to me then, after I have my asqar done, you know, and I've done my prayers, I'm like, I know 100% that whatever God has made happen right now is khair and is very good for me because I've done what I have to do through my sins, through everything. And that is something that brings me reassurance and doesn't allow me to fall into this loop of God is punishing me, God hates me, you know? Because as soon as someone becomes God conscious and acts in a way um, of religious awareness and spiritual awareness, they can be more um, certain that the things that happen to them 
will surely lead to a better outcome. And the more time passes, wallahi, this like goes for everyone in every situation. The more time passes, you begin to understand why what you wanted was not what was best for you. And exactly, like you look at your past experiences now and everything. Like tell me one thing that's like, oh, like that was terrible. I'm so terrible. Like I'm so sad that this happened to me. Relax. Like these things when they happen to you, you look back, they teach you things. You know, they it's like scabs that make you stronger. The skin goes back thicker, you know. Yeah, I think also if you like the, look at those situations of struggle in the way that you've depicted, it reminded me of one of the eyes in the Quran. I'm going to paraphrase the translation, but basically it was saying that whoever comes to Islam, like whoever gets closer to Islam is because God willed them to and whoever, yeah. Yeah, and, and, yeah. so I, I think if, if we view it from, from that perspective instead like seeing like this moment of like struggle and burden instead of it being like god punishing me rather than this is an opportunity god is giving me like to come to him like with like with my soul vulnerable because i'm in so much pain and i'm suffering even if you use your words or whatever no one's ever going to understand the actual pain you feel except for god so it's an opportunity for you to speak to him i think if we view it from that way instead we won't feel like God is punishing us, yeah. but rather it's an opportunity for us to strengthen our relationship with him. I think that helps as well. 100%. This is like something that completely transformed my relationship with God. Like, um, as a person, I react most to like times of hardship and sadness, you know? And so even though like, alhamdulillah, like I live such a blessed life and praise always be to God. But um, when I go through these experiences, exactly like you said, I see them as invitations because that's when I pray with more khushua. That's when I pray with like all these feelings like I and I'm such that I stay longer and stuff. So I always see it as like this invitation from God to be closer. It's like I give you a little bit of hardship because I know that this is what you respond to the most. You know what I mean? And the idea, by the way, that God only punishes, like God is going to punish you if you're not acting in a certain way i feel like it's also something that some islamic teachers put forth that and they bring on like all these um qawms or tribes that like qawm lut they they were disobeying him so look what they have look what happened to them and so on and i feel like that's not the takeaway from these types of stories because first of all they were persistently rejecting like prophecies and just not willing at all to respond to anything that the prophets would tell them. And so even though God like God tests them with a hardship and then uh, they would come back to the prophet and he would alleviate it and then and so on. It's, it's like a whole cycle, especially Ben Israel, actually. But yeah, when I completely agree with what both of you said, because right now, I mean, if I look back to two years ago, I was... I was that type of person. I was like, why is this happening to me? Like, when is this going to end? Why Why is my life going this direction? But now, whenever anything happens, I'm just like, oh, okay, so it's just like, what's written? Like, I, like you mm-hmm. learn to respond more, like, less emotionally and more with more um, trust and, what's the word, like... Tawakul? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like tawakul, but in English... <laughs> Like tawakul, like you oh, know exactly, um, like complete dependence, complete trust yeah. in God's plan, basically. Like everything that happens, mm-hmm. God's plan. Mm-hmm. Because my brother came to me yeah. the other day and like something happened and he was like so unsure about what's going to happen. And I kept telling him, what's going to happen is God's will. Like you don't know where the khair for you is. So it, like you can't, like hearing that doesn't really make it click for you you have to experience the thing and have it pass by you and then reflect on it as you said the zoom out and see that in retrospect yeah yeah because of this then all of these other paths that wouldn't have happened happened to me and i'm blessed that i, I was mm. able to experience these things because of that perceived hardship that i had yeah for sure um i think something like to go off your point uh that adds to this reassurance as well is that our riz, which in English as well is like your uh, sub, uh what's it called? Like <laughs> what God gives you. 
yeah like or blesses you with. basically the blessings of this life but like it also counts for example like if we're going to look at it uh the amount of money you receive and um the basically the reap the things you reap from this life that are for you basically that's what it is is right so mm-hmm. our is is written you know and mm-hmm. i think that's something that brought me so much reassurance because if you because basically like the textbook definition when you think of risk is basically like people always think of monetary things they like oh like you know it's your salary that's your that's your livelihood um but when you look at it exactly when you look at it in a different perspective uh you see that like it's also the amount of love that people have for you you know it's like there is of this friendship um and so there is of like everything and like even the food that you eat is your you know so like for me sometimes like when my order gets cancelled like at first i'm like man i was so hungry but then i was like literally it was not meant for me to eat this food you know like because the apple as soon as it grows on the tree like the person who will eat this apple is written you know so if the apple didn't end up to you it was never coming to you to begin with nothing that is meant for you is going to miss you um and that's another thing that uh brings me reassurance is this other uh quote where it's like even if the thing you wanted was between your two lips but if it not, wasn't meant for you it will not come to you and if something that is meant for you is like mountains through mountains away and if it's meant for you it will still make it to you you know like the pen has been lifted and the ink is dry so your path your purpose is to just steer the wheel but whatever uh rerouting that the gps has to do is not in your hands you just have to go forward you know That's a really good analogy by the way. <laughs> Should have used that in the context. Thanks But guys. Anyway, um <laughs> to build off by the way, the point about your risk, a lot of people compare their risk to other people in terms of like monetary value especially and if we also go by God's name as Al-Ad, you know that everyone's everyone on this earth, their risk is the same. Like you're equal in terms of your risk to every single other person on this planet so although someone else might be richer or whatever you might be more able-bodied or you might have more intimate relationships or you might have another future waiting for you so i feel like just remembering that god is just and nothing ever slips him is really reassuring as well i think also the perception of success being monetary i think i forgot i think it was like mufti mink i was watching one of his videos and he was saying how even if you this also goes back to the point about when we when something bad happens to us and we feel like oh we've been punished he was basically saying that even if someone has a life that seems like quote-unquote blessed in terms of monetary success that doesn't necessarily mean it's a reward because something good can happen to you but that takes you further away from Allah and that would be considered a failure. Yes. Meanwhile, if something bad happens to you and you become closer to Allah, then it was never a punishment exactly. in the first place. Exactly. It was a reward. It was like, yeah, I don't know. A reward isn't the right word. But it was a it blessing was like, in disguise, basically. Yeah, yeah it was a blessing. Mm-hmm. I completely see that. And it goes back to what we were saying as well. Like, I think something that can really synthesize the point that um, both of you just made um, in terms of Riz and then also in terms of secret blessings in disguise. Um, and as soon as I said that, I forgot my point, but I will find my way back to it. Wait. Yeah, okay. So basically, like, when she was saying that Allah is al-adl and, you know, he is just and he is fair, um, when it comes to different people reacting to different things going on, like, some people are actually, like, more thankful and grateful and... Um, khashain in their worship when things are going great for them like when things are like fine True. you find that their iman is so high but as soon as you know things get a little rocky and stuff they start to get a little rocky and then you have people on the other side of the spectrum where like when things get rocky it's not that either of them forget god in those different situations but it's just that they have a more intimate relationship and they respond more to a certain emotion So you have people on both ends of the spectrum where like some people respond when they're happy, some people respond when they're sad. Uh, nonetheless, God will um, fashion their lives based on that, you know? So like you, she was saying like in, when there are times like people, you find that they have um, more monetary successes and they reap more in that sense. And then you have other situations that are not like necessarily the same, but they impact both of you differently. And this is something as well that I've experienced 
um, in my life. Like I've gone, I've had, I had this like trauma way back when. And then some of my friends, like when I talk to them, it's like, oh, obviously like it has, it's nothing close to this experience that you had, but, and then they talk, right? But there's no way that you can put these on a balance or even compare them because maybe the impact that it had on me is the same impact that it had on you, even though they were different situations completely. Mm-hmm. You can't ever um, compare hardships and stuff. And that's why um, there's this whole like thing. I saw it all the time growing up, like this one quote, if everyone in the world was to put their problems in a pile and see everyone else's problems, they wouldn't even be able to handle it. They'll just take their own back, mm-hmm. you know? Like you think you're so ready to like give up your hardships because, oh, like my life is hard. So many people have it easier. And then you see the people who quote unquote have it easier. And then you're like, no, I don't want that. Mm-hmm. I want my life, you know? So we were talking a lot about um, predetermination and God's plan. And now I guess we'll get to the to the meat of the topic, which is more free will. And in the context, actually, I didn't get like into the definition of free will that philosophically because like in philosophy when you think of free will they like they have whole papers on oh do we really have free will or um is the environment causing you to act who put those ideas into your head in the first place all of that i think Alette will cover more of that in the second episode in the next episode sorry but anyway so through a general understanding of free will which all of us have it's just like the will to act in a certain way but not to change your destiny just to act so Sara, how does, from your understanding of free will, um, how does it impact the way you act or carry yourself? And this may overlap with what we talk about, what we talked about previously. Basically, what I'm asking is, are you always like cognizant of the fact that your actions have like every single thing that you do is written by like the angels on your shoulders, or they directly impact where you're gonna be Yom mm-hmm. Yeah, the day of judgment. Um, I think that. Um, like you were saying, like being God conscious um, as much as possible is what like makes me feel like when I act, you know, I have to act in terms of my being, you know, like I can do whatever I want. Sure. But do I want to do whatever I want? Like every action that you have will have consequences. But at the same time, like the understanding of free will in terms of God consciousness as well what it does is that it influences my actions, especially on what we were talking about earlier, relating to that, about how, like, we're never taught the effects that, for example, forms of worship can have on your soul and your body, versus as well the effects that disobeying Allah can have on your soul and your body. Um, I'm, like, very conscious of this. Like, for example, sometimes when I feel like I'm steering off, like I'm not doing what I'm meant to be doing or I'm not doing something correctly and stuff, I can feel in my bones, literally, like, when I'm praying that, like, my focus isn't 100%. Or that when I, like, try to cry, for example, in sujood, it's not that easy anymore. And then there are other times where it's so easy. And when it's so easy, I know that from me, it's coming from a place where, like, through my actions in my daily life, I've been um, obeying Allah and doing the best that I can. So in terms of free will, like, And this is me, like, as a characteristic that I have. I always think um, in the long term rather than, like, instant gratification in short term, which is the um, ibtila or disease of our society in the modern day. We are so focused on this instant gratification and where this is pushed through social media, it's pushed through everything that we do. Like, if things don't have our attention within the first five seconds, then just move on next thing you know and that's why like people always say like oh if you're gonna make like a video on social media you have to make sure that your hook is amazing because if you don't get people's yeah. attention doesn't matter how good your video is doesn't matter how good your podcast is if the first five seconds don't get people reeled in they're not listening yeah. you know and we feel that. it's it's an issue yeah for real every content creator every everyone who's trying to send the message out like even when i write my uh, religious like commentary uh, on my page like the first few lines they have to be gripping and they have to get to the point about like if i'm going to talk about emotional weakness best believe i have to be talking about it in the first sentence or else people are not going to get to that you know even the names of allah that are not necessarily well known for example like the last one i did was al muhaymin 
And not a lot of people know that. And it's a really hard name to understand because it's like four different meanings in one word. And no doubt the reason why, like, I know that people didn't read that as much was because from the very beginning, they're like, yeah, I've never heard this word. Okay, let's keep it going, you know? Um, so this attitude of like instant gratification, what it does as well is like it makes us live in a very shallow area in our mind. Like Allah has blessed us with this organ that is so beyond imagination and what it can do, yet we're only using these small percentages of it and living aimlessly. And then free will, instead of it becoming free will, it just becomes this like program that you're running on because this is what is going on in society. This is the norm. And so you move on that way. But when you become God conscious, your free will shifts from this generic way of living to you making every decision with God in mind. Um, this is something I noticed, especially after I put on the hijab. Um, exactly. The hijab, what it say, does. I was going to ask right? you about that. Right? Yeah. It's literally what you do is you look in the mirror and you see your relationship with God. You see yourself as a Muslim woman, you know, um, before you see anything else. And even when you're walking, like just see, seeing your hijab or having to fix it, whatever, you're instantly reminded, by the way, I'm wearing a hijab for Allah, like I'm doing this for my religion. And so that shifts my actions as well versus how I was like before I'd wear the hijab or like I could go um, a few hours or even a full day um without being that god conscious of my actions at all and i just do things based on my own whims and then when i see my hijab i'm like instantly humbled and reminded this is besides the fact that when people see you as someone who is on their religion on their deen they act a certain way to you and that within itself reminds you that you are muslim so all these things influence your behaviors and navigate your free will in a way that's going to benefit you and your um, akhira, your afterlife. And yeah, like basically what I'm trying to say is that this God consciousness um, and being able to see that and feel that is how I navigate my actions and how it controls, quote unquote, with my free will. Yeah. By the way, I was literally just about to ask you about the hijab, but because that's exactly how I felt in first year, like there's this narrative that everyone that goes to the west um like living in a muslim country your whole life you go to the west that either breaks or fixes your deen and having that hijab is basically it was that god consciousness but put into like a physical form it was tangible now because um if i want like i'm walking as a representative of islam and people act towards me in that way as well so some people can't stand it and then you just like i mean i guess they take it off if they want to but if you if you want to keep portraying that image then you need to be um actively thinking of your actions how like how am i going to be perceived how is um like my word choice as well that's always um on my mind yeah, especially when time. i'm talking to people that aren't Muslim, which is most of the time. So, yeah, I just feel like that that was the embodiment of God consciousness for me in university, at least. Or, I mean, before as well, but b because I was living in a Muslim country, it, it was like, it mattered less. But now because there are people who had their own misconceptions about what the religion was or how I was supposed to act or be, then I had to... I had to tell them that, no, I'm someone else. This is who I am. And also, this is what God wants me to do. And I'm going to act that way. What about you, Ada? I'll, I'll continue from what you're saying, like, um, about the hijab point, And I'll go back a bit to the free will um, aspect. But I started wearing the hijab, like, like, three months ago. And the main reason... I put it off for many, for many reasons. But one of the reasons is because I wanted my decision to put on the hijab and to commit to it. The reason I'm putting it on is like solely for God. And there's blessed, like not because of any external factors, which is um, unfortunately sometimes the way the hijab is portrayed is like, um, you know, you should you should dress modestly and wearing the hijab helps you do that because it protects you from... Um, men and it protects you from like the harms of this world which is obviously um first of all just wrong <laughs> because what are you going to say to hijabi victims of like sexual assault you know that's obviously going to damage their relationship with with the hijab to be fair 
So I wanted the reason for me to put it on just to please God. And every moment onwards, I'm doing it consciously just to please God. Because there's so like there's so much blessing in like doing that. But the other thing I want to go back to was your analogy of you know you're you're steering the car like it's your goal to just keep it straight and whatever however the GPS reroutes it's up to the GPS. I really loved how you framed that. It's also stating that you still need to put effort in as well. Like you can't just stop driving the car. You can't like if you suddenly don't follow the GPS or if you suddenly like I don't know. <laughs> like take the wrong way or go the opposite way of the roundabout i don't know you know whatever you want to do <laughs> like there's still that also it also still puts blame you're held accountable you're also held like, accountable yeah. yeah yeah there's accountability because i think sometimes when we talk about qadr like qadr and like i've heard a lot especially in like relationships like abusive relationships they tend to frame their like misactions towards you as well this is this was what was written for me like this was what's going to happen so we might as well just move past this like this is this is like god had this written out for us so that's what it is and even which what i want to make clear and Hedda does mention it in the context is just because it was written for you that doesn't mean that you were forced into doing it especially when it comes to your like actions in relation to people. Yes, it was written down, but that's because God is the all-knowing. He knew what you were going to do, but that doesn't mean you were forced into doing that particular action towards certain like individuals or things like that. So I think sometimes if we misinterpret qadat wa qadar, it can turn into like people abusing the meaning of it. So that's why I... Responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. I think... I think I think something that um, a lot of people tend like when they have this argument, and I see this argument like coming specifically like from philosophers. Like this is how <laughs> they'll think, you know what I, I mean? Um, but the thing is, like with things like this as well, um, it is so important not to discount the importance and significance of du'a because du'a has the capacity to change this qadr that you speak of, you know? Like, if someone does have this uh, genuine, authentic relationship with God, and they, like, for example, say, like, oh, qadr in like, that I'm going to treat this person this way, for example. But if you're making du'a for God to make you uh, someone who's steadfast on the deen, to bless you with uh, sirat al-mustaqim, which, again, I don't know the direct English translation, but the, 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 the straight, straight path. path, literally. Um... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like if you're making this dua and you're making it with sincerity and God is Al-Mujib, the respondent um, one, he will certainly make sure that through your qadar, your dua will be reflected, you know. Um, so when people say like, oh, no, this is what's written for me. It's like, yeah, but you have to keep in mind that your actions are the ones that led the pen to write in such ways, you know. And if you're so unhappy with your predetermined with your predetermined destination, you simply have to make dua, make dua, and make it with sincerity. God changes everything. And um, if I'm gonna like give a recommendation of when you want to make that dua, do it in the last third of the night, where God is uh, sending down to the first heaven, and this is when He responds. A dua made in that time of night is like an arrow that does not miss its target, and that's verified you know so do that if you're so unhappy with your qadr, i think you know? also like make dua and you still have to take initiative like you still have to do action it's like that phrase like you do what you can and every like everything is in god's hands but you still need to do what you can so because there are often times where people are like my dua isn't being answered but first of all are you doing know. are you doing what you can and also, you never know when that dua is being answered. Like who? Like, that within itself is a test. Literally. Yeah, like who are we to 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 rush God's timing? You know, we have to just have mm-hmm. faith. Oh yeah, something. I think I, I think I wanted to make this comment when you were speaking earlier. Um, basically, how like that within itself is a test. Like for God to not respond to your dua, it's not that He doesn't want to respond. Uh, it's actually the opposite. And there's a certain degree of character building. <laughs> that not getting a response from Allah directly um, creates. At the same time, like we have to keep in mind that God loves hearing our voices when we pray for Him, uh, pray to Him, and ask Him for things. 
And so sometimes when he doesn't respond to you, uh, not only is he, you know, decreeing the perfect time to respond to whatever you're asking, but it's because he wants to hear your voice more, you know, to hear the voice of his slave making prayer for him. And so that's one thing that people need to consider. Yeah, that also goes back to your point about instant gratification. Like just because we don't see the end outcome of that dua, that doesn't mean that we're not building ourselves up slowly to have that dua answered. And also there's one thing like I started like with what Sara was saying about because like God is the all-knowing. So that's what I started doing at the end of my dua. If I'm asking for something, if it's good for me, then you know what's good for me because you're the all-knowing. And and granted at a time, that's best for me because you're the best of planners. And that bring like just saying it out loud brings a lot of relief as well. It's way easier said than done, yeah. of course. I was just going to say that also if if you don't see a response, every dua is answered right. So it doesn't matter if it's in the dunya or the akhirah. Isn't that, wasn't that a hadith? I'm pretty sure. Yes, 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 yes. Because yes. I learned it in school. So yeah, he'll respond to you eventually. But at the moment, you just need to know that what's what's happening right now is what's best for you. And what's going to come is will, will be better. Yeah. And that's it. And also... Um, the Sahabi Umar radiallahu anhu um, there's this hadith he has from him um, where he says I'm not concerned whether or not I'm able to see the response of my dua I'm not concerned about God's response to my dua I'm only concerned about the fact that I'm able to make the dua because so long as I know that I can make it I know that Allah will respond just like you were saying there will always be a response um, be it he doesn't, God doesn't give you the response that you want but he gives you what's best for you or he doesn't give you the response in this dunya and he gives you the response in the akhirah, which honestly like is better for you. But um, something else I wanted to add to Alaa's point um, is that... What were you saying? I've seen a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Blabbing. We were talking about dua. Oh, yeah. Okay. The dua that you were saying that because God is all-knowing, you know, like, if this is what's best for me, bring it to me and then bring it to me at the best time. That's a very, like, beautiful way to make dua. Because something, a mistake that a lot of us do, and I think I was, like, making this mistake for, like, the first, I think, 18, 18 years of my life, where, like, directly when I wanted something, I would pray for that thing that I wanted. And obviously, that's what we should do. You know, pray for the thing that you want, mm-hmm. no problem. But at the same time, you have to be open to god's interpretation of whatever it is you're praying for like if you for example like really want someone in your life you know and you pray like oh like i hope this is the person for me make dua and all that stuff but what if it's not the person for you you know so like what you want to have uh the direction of your dua be is like if this person has khair and barakah which is like good blessings for me um and is good for me and my personal growth and my experience in this world in this dunya then bring them closer to me. And if they are not what's best for me, you know, if they don't help me and they don't bring me closer to you, then, you know, push them further from me. And the um, parallel of this dua in Arabic is, Allahumma qarrib ilayhi man yuqarribni ilayk wa ibad anni man yubaidni annak. So like, bring me close to the people or the things that bring me closer to you. And then the opposite for the things that push me away. And yeah, that's like, that takes such a, like huge amount of courage because you have to be willing to sacrifice whatever it is that you truly 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 want and you just hope that what you want is what's best for you because regardless if it is then you're already making dua for it and saying this you know but by the way sorry i just this is like a slight nitpick but you were saying um uh like you need to be there needs to be space for god's interpretation of your dua but i feel like he already like he knows what's in your heart he knows what you're thinking of it's mm-hmm. not i feel like it's not a matter yeah, of yeah, yeah. interpretation yeah but as you were, as you meant as you went on to say it's more of what's what's best for you so even though yeah. what what happens isn't what what you wanted but it's what's best for you and you need to believe in that yeah but yeah mm-hmm. you have I a think close like what, what, I, what i was targeting yeah mm-hmm. i think what i was targeting um more so is like the mentality of the believer in the dua because like nonetheless whatever god like wills will happen like it doesn't matter what you do (laughs) like if god has like a certain plan for you like there's nothing that you can do that can overwhelm his plan for you you know Mm -hmm. but you're more likely to be more acceptant um and um the arabic translation 
yeah. it's basically like if you have that mentality when you're making dua you know like it leaves um more space for gratitude regardless exactly. of the response mm-hmm. you know anything else no i have nothing else to say okay <laughs> thank you so much fun. sara for being on with us thank you guys despite everything me. that happened um if you guys wanted to know we tried to schedule this like four other times or three other times and you know <laughs> which is very much the theme Facts. of this episode <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that's why you know things happen and we recorded it and it was good mm-hmm. so thank you so much we'd love to have you on again yeah thank you Maybe. i would love to come back for real <laughs> definitely bro but anyway <laughs> okay we'll see you guys in the next one inshallah salam salam Peace.